The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. In a world full of listeners who want to listen to a podcast about superheroes, two men decided to spend the first one-third of their superhero podcast talking about relationship troubles and a wedding. This is Totally Super. Welcome to Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And this is a movie we've taken a long time getting to. This is the fourth Fantastic Four movie that we watched. Will Mm -hmm. it be the most fantastic of the four? We'll find out today. (laughs) There is, again, as we said last week, this is sort of inspired by the announcement that Marvel made that it is indeed making its own Fantastic Four movie. And before we get started, I talked talked about, well, look at Spider-Man, right? Let's talk about this uh, really quickly. What do you think? Well, how do you feel about the Fantastic Four joining the Marvel Universe? I think that I was talking with a friend of mine about this actually last night. I think the challenge that they have to deal with is that, I mean, Fantastic Four were like the original Marvel superheroes. But because of that, their superpowers kind of reflect that. Um, I mean, yeah, the Human Torch and Sue Storm, who can not just turn invisible, but like create incredibly powerful force fields. That's still pretty relevant. Um, but even in the comics, it has been a long, long time since Reed Richard has been interesting because of his flexibility. Uh, pretty much they've turned Reed Richards into just super brain in the comics. And that's the really interesting thing. Um, the thing is a tremendous character, but in terms of superpowers in a cinematic universe, when you have the Hulk already a super strong, monstrous being that is like the Hulk, only less so. That's going to be a bit of a challenge. Now, what makes the thing interesting, though, is Yancey Street. Like, the fact that Brooklyn is so much wrapped up into part of his character. I mean, in the comics, you see him, like, seeing the thing in a yarmulke uh, at synagogue is amazing. Uh, So I guess what I'm saying is, I think for today's world, where we are flooded with all kinds of amazing superhero films and amazing super, you know, galaxy-changing superpowers uh i think the only way that you can make fantastic four work is if you lean hard into the characters yeah i agree i think that if they're gonna do it correctly what they need to do is do sort of what they did with spider-man nobody thinks it's awesome or weird or oh my gosh he can do spider things nobody's like that with spider-man they're like oh you're spider-man the new superhero and that's just how it goes Mm -hmm. and if they say yes the fantastic four operating on top the baxter building yes they have powers but they've really been doing experiments and stuff but uh uh-oh now it's time for them to step up but they've kind of been there for a while Mm -hmm. and they're just so low level that we just kind of haven't talked about them yet i mean when you've got the avengers building literally down the street it's kind of yeah i think that the idea that they're there is they haven't necessarily need to be called i don't know i don't know how they do it i feel like unlike spider-man whose origin we all kind of know and is in our collect was in our collective consciousness before even the first toby mcguire spider-man if you look at the movie we saw last week if i just look down i'll say it right now the budget of the movie we're about to look at right now is 130 million the total box office worldwide is 301 million and there are comedies like, you know, the the hangover did that kind of money. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to have a world where everyone's kind of seen how the Fantastic Four work. Yeah. And you can't just say, OK, they're here. Let's just deal with it. Because like with Sp- it's not like Spider-Man. Everybody knows Spider-Man's story, so you don't need to tell it again. But how do you tell the story again? And make it interesting. I tell you, one thing that would be interesting is uh, I think I think you could get away with not in, in this new in the, whatever new film they make. I think you could get away with either not including their origin or just sort of skating past it. Um, it would be an interesting take if they did the Fantastic Four sort of as they are now, like seeing Reed Richards as a father, like and actually having the kids involved so that it is. Because then you get the chance to really lean into sort of a family theme. Um, I think that might you could be... Redcon, you could retcon Marvel a little bit and go, well, yeah, the Fantastic Four were... Except the thing is, is that Tony's been around for such a long time now mm-hmm. that I just don't know. I don't know. I will say this. Outside of the problems that we're naming, I think that the Fantastic Four fit better 
into the grander Marvel universe than, say, the X-Men. Yes. Who you have to break the world a little bit to go, yes, mutants have always been here and they've grown up being discriminated against. Mm-hmm. And like, we, but we haven't heard. I mean, you you would almost have to. I was thinking about this with the X-Men. The If the Marvel Cinematic Universe tried introducing the concept of mutants now, like in the sense of, oh, mutants are this new thing. At first, I was thinking, oh, that might work. But again, we've already got a world that has grown sort of used to the idea of superpowered beings. So the fear, well, it's well, but, but like, and, like and the Sokovia Accords are, I mean, the Sokovia, but that's the thing. There have been, they, they've been talking about this issue for a while now. Maybe not, maybe used to is not the best phrase, but the, the whole thing with mutants when they first appeared was, oh my God, there's people who look like us who have superpowers that frightens me. But there have already been people like, there's already people like us who have superpowers and there have been in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for a while. Like, inhumans Ooh. are a thing. It's going to be you know harder what I wonder? to, you know it's going to be wonder? harder to introduce mutants. Maybe. You know what I wonder? I always wonder, I thought it was a very bold choice to say in Endgame that five years passed. Why five? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why not one? Mm-hmm. Why not two? Why five? Five's a lot and it's really hard to deal with five. It really made Star Trek Far from home, more did you difficult. Just say, did it, you just say Star Trek Far from Home? <laughs> Sorry, Spider Man Far from Home. I mean, the, really the very. I, I, I just. I feel like saying Star Trek Far from Home is the most redundant title for a movie I've ever heard. <laughs> Star Trek Away, Far from Home, from a distance. Explorers um, I, of the Galaxy. <laughs> astronauts i think that i think that what you could do with the mutants and we'll get there when we get there but when we when you look at endgame and you say that five years passed what if when the snap happened snap something happened to the remaining remaining population where they started developing people just regular people would occasionally develop powers and it's becoming more like what if you treat it like covid like more since the snap more and more people and these aren't people who've decided to be super villains or superheroes Mm -hmm. but they're people who can put their minds into computers and they're using it just to give themselves a little more at the atm people who are Mm -hmm. they've they've integrated into society because there's a five year there's a five year period of the marvel universe that we haven't spent any time in especially if those powers are forever associated with the only reason why people have been this has only been happening since literally the worst thing that's ever happened to the human race. Yes. And now they're here and now you've got your Avengers back and you've got your superheroes back. And these aren't superheroes. They're people who are out there just trying to do their thing. But, you know, hell, if I had the ability to cheat at life, I might. (laughs) And I I, wish I could say I I totally would. I totally would. I'd I'd cheat in ways that didn't really hurt other people, but I would cheat the heck out of life. Yeah. And I I wouldn't want to. It wouldn't be out of a sense of maliciousness, but it's just like, well, don't we all cheat at life? Like you and I have better socioeconomic statuses than a lot of other people. Yeah. But it, it's it's not <laughs> like we're taking. Oh God! It's not like we're, oh God! We're cheaters already. God, why'd you have to? That's say what that? I'm saying. It's not like we're taking our tax returns and going, "Hey, I don't deserve this. Let's send that back." <laughs> let's. You know what? Let's pay a little extra because you know what? Life has been kind. Yeah, we're so, not doing that. So I think that if you extrapolate that to go, okay, since the snap, the energy of the snap that covered the whole world knocked some DNA out of out of whack, and suddenly. You have a Kitty Pride who can run through walls. And you have maybe before that super rare times that occasionally that would happen. And that was being tracked with Professor X. Maybe there's a Magneto out there that you that mm-hmm. you haven't really heard about. But it's been super rare. But now suddenly it's – and controlled – but now it's exploding and you have your Magneto character who didn't have mutants to defend, but now is seeing it happen. And it's like, well, I need to. And what if it becomes an allegory for the split that we see now going on mm. in the country? Because it was an allegory then. And then it sort of became less prevalent and, and let, it, it was less involved in what was going on during the times. And what if you were to update it and go, okay, let's look now what's happening and mm-hmm. apply X-Men to now. And I think that could work. I think that's a way you could say, yeah, they've been around for like five years and we're dealing with the fact that they're spreading. It's spreading. Everyone's scared it's mm-hmm. going to happen to their family. I don't know. I think I can it's see that. interesting. I can see that. It's a way yeah. to do it. Let's talk about this movie. Let's talk about this movie. movie. Existed. <laughs> um, this movie is called Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. The Silver Surfer being voiced by one Lawrence Fishburne and played by one Doug Jones. If you don't know Doug Jones, 
You, he's but that's amazing. the thing. Everyone knows Doug Jones without knowing that they know Doug Jones. The last three episodes of Star Trek Discovery, they had one of those situations where everybody's species gets mixed up and you get to see Doug Jones out of makeup for like two episodes. And it's neat. It's neat to see him. He's got the most beautiful eyes that are just so evocative of emotion. And of course, if you're a Buffy fan or if you saw um, what's the, 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 the Shape of Water, thank you. Um, if you've seen that, you've seen any number of movies, Doug Jones has, has shown up. He's in Batman Returns. Yeah. He's one of the best, like he's essentially one of the best, um, body doubles in the business. When we do, when we do hell, did we do Hellboy? We We haven't done Hellboy. We We haven't done Hellboy. Are we sure? We should. That should be. We absolutely, oh, of course we absolutely should. When we do Hellboy, we're going to have to talk about Get in line, Hellboy. Get in line. Get in line. Um, that means we're gonna have to do the third one too. Uh, um, so this movie came out as a sequel to the Fantastic Four movie that we talked about last week. Please listen to it; it's a good show, and was critically considered to be better. Was financially much worse off. It killed this Fantastic Four franchise. Oh, interesting. Leading to leading to the Josh Trank. A reboot that they tried to do later, which also didn't do that well, which we've also covered. Um, it was released on June 15th, 2007 in the United States. Running time, 92 minutes. Like I said, a budget of 120 to $130 million with a total worldwide box office of $301 million. It was directed for the second time by Tim Story, who we talked about last week, um, and brings in both Galactus, the Power Cosmic, and the Silver Surfer into this wider universe. And with that, before we go any further, I think I need a plot. Before oh, I talk about God. All right. Here we go. The plot. I did not pull this one from Wikipedia. This is straight from the from the mind of Arthur. Uh, <laughs> all right. Plot of Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. We open on a short scene of a planet being destroyed by a galactic storm. A silver dot flies from the wreckage and heads towards planet Earth, where we find our gang of four dealing with their new status as superhero celebrities. Johnny is loving it. The others, not so much. Reed and Sue are planning their fourth attempt at a wedding, since Reed's devotion to his work and superheroing has gotten in the way the past few times. But he remains insistent that the wedding will go forward and that it has his full attention. At his bachelor party, he is approached by General Hager. An extraterrestrial entity has been causing massive craters and other anomalies all over Earth, and they need Reed to find it. He builds an alien tracker behind Sue's back because he's supposed to be totally focused on the wedding. Sue, meanwhile, expresses regrets that she can't have a normal life, or a normal wedding. And that's the first 30 minutes of this 90-minute film. Then we have The Wedding, which is interrupted by the alien, a silver man on a silver surfboard, showing up and blocking out, blacking out New York in order to destroy the censor. Johnny chases him, but he is defeated. Strangely, the surfer's power gives Johnny the ability to absorb and transfer the powers of his, uh, his other teammates. Hilarity ensues when Sue catches fire, which, and stick with me on this, burns all her clothes off, leaving her (laughs) naked in a crowd, just like in the first film. And then she's all like, why does this always happen to me? Oh, Sue Storm, never change. Meanwhile, Victor Von Doom lives. Sorry. Okay, keep going. <laughs> yeah, you could you tell my opinion about that particular plot twist. He, you are on point today. This is great. <laughs> Victor Von Doom lives. He has his own encounter with the alien in an attempt to gain an ally in his villainous schemes. Meanwhile, the Fab Four try to catch the alien when it creates a crater in London, but because of their internal problems, they fail to work as a team, and General Hager considers their involvement a failure. He brings in Victor Von Doom and forces them all to work together. Reed devises a means of separating the surfer from his board, which is the source of his power. Using this tech, they successfully trap the surfer, but Susan gets the feeling he's not such a bad guy. She talks to him in his interrogation chamber, and the surfer reveals that he acts as the herald of Galactus, this planet-eating storm. The surfer has no choice, because if he doesn't find planets for Galactus to consume, then it will consume his own planet and the woman that he loves. But suddenly, oh no, Victor Von Doom double-crosses General Hager and steals the surfboard for himself, killing Hager and other soldiers in the process. The gang, now with Nor and Rad, uh, the name of the surfer, in their group, pursue Doom in the flying Fantasticar. There's a pretty cool aerial chase scene, actually, that ends in Shanghai. Doom throws a silver spear at the surfer, but Sue interposes herself and is impaled. 
while Reed cradles a dying Sue Storm. Johnny absorbs the powers of his his teammate and, with all powers combined, Super Skrull-like, is able to defeat Doom and recover the board. Galactus, meanwhile, has appeared overhead, and he starts to consume the Earth. But the surfer, moved by the death of Susan Storm, a woman who reminded him of his own lost love, in a rage, flies straight into the heart of Galactus. He destroys the Galactic Storm with his cosmic power, something that apparently he was able to do this entire time. Oh, no. Oh, and then he also uses his cosmic power to return Sue to life. The film ends with Reed and Susan having a sweet, quiet wedding somewhere in Japan. The gang accept their lot in life as superheroes and defenders of the Earth. Fiend. Wow, I think that maybe you didn't like it as much as I hoped you would. No, here's the thing. Uh, There's a lot that I liked about it. The, uh, The second half of this film is way better than the first half of this film, to my estimation. And I I agree with you. I also feel like the first half of this film is way better than all of the rest of the first film. You're not entirely wrong. I think that what this film does, I mean, we'll talk about what it does correctly, but um, let's hit the first half, the first, it's almost half, the first third of the film uh, first. I think that having the characters already established and having it basically be, here's the Fantastic Four sitcom kind of works for me. The pace is, it's not ha-ha funny. It's not, it wants to be, thinks it is. <laughs> it's saying and, it thinks it's ha-ha funny. But it's charming. It's certainly charming enough. It's inoffensive other than the Sue Storm bit. It's again, oh, oh, 20 years ago. Oh, tw- our, oh God. Oh God, that thir- was 20 years 13 ago. Years. Or 13 it's 13 years, years ago. ago. Oh, we've, 13 years ago, life was different then. We, we've come a long way in a relatively short period of time, for which we were all grateful. Yeah, no, things are great now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm saying we've come a long way. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But I do think that it's working on a in a pure 90s sitcom kind of way. It is. I am, I am digging the jokes. It's telling you right away that it's not trying to be too heavy. And at this point, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we now are into the MCU. I think the MCU exists at this point. Iron Man has come out. Mm-hmm. And so we're in a world now where they are trying to set themselves apart. And I think what they do to set themselves apart is say, this is not going to be too deep. And in that way, I would say the entire movie, much more than the first one, including everything that happens at the end, is pretty representative of what every bit of Fantastic Four I've read in the comics was like. This watches to me like a Fantastic Four comic put up on the screen. It's no better and it's no worse, but it is exactly this. And for all the problems you might have in this movie, someone doesn't randomly show up on a bridge to move the plot forward in major ways because they (coughs) happened to be there. Excuse me. Mm. My comment gave you COVID. No, what? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no. Your your comment kind of sent me into a coughing spat. Um, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, nor, for that matter, are New Yorkers worshippers of the narrative god. Uh, they don't just do things because wouldn't it be cool, narratively speaking, if all the city members did this? Um, aside from again, what I think we can both agree is pretty much the low point of the film, which is Susan Storm naked in the crowd. Uh, yeah, no, that's. So the I'm going to talk a little bit about story writing right now because I I can't say what it is I can't say what it is that I'm writing I've spoken to you offline about what it is that I'm writing but I am a writer as are you you have been paid to write many times major plots with intertwining characters our listeners I, should know that Justin has been hired to write the next Star Wars film yes I have and it will be bad I. <laughs> I also have written things that have sold. So you and I are both professional writers in our own yes, way. Yes, such as it there. is. Su- such it is, part-time. So that being said, there's a structure to the way stories are supposed to work. And I'm going to explain to you guys listening at home what the three-act structure means. The three-act structure is, in fact, a four-act structure. But the three acts, as everybody knows it, is you have a quarter of the story that you're hearing is called the setup. And it goes from about zero to 25% of whatever you're watching. The second act is actually part 2A and part 2B with the midpoint right in the middle. And that is where the movie kind of happens. Every reason that you came to see the movie, that's in the next 25%. And then everything going wrong and the heroes having to deal with it is in the next 25%. And then the final 25% is is the final battle and then the denouement at the end where everybody's like, here is what happened in the end and everybody's living happily ever after. And that's sort of Here's the way the, the new status quo. Up. 
your complaint about this movie is legitimate because you are right. It's about 30 minutes in before the Silver Surfer shows up. And th- that should be the beginning of Act Two. But the inciting incident in a three act story should happen about three quarters of the way through Act One. And instead, they complete all of Act One and all of the setup. And then the Silver Surfer shows up and you're just into Act Two. And so what you end up is you do absolutely end up with an Act One that's kind of meandering. You have no sense of urgency happening in Act One because really the Silver in a 90-minute movie, the Silver Surfer should be showing up at around minute 18. That is a wonderfully eloquent and uh, in-depth way uh, of expressing I, what I will now express as the short version of that, because I don't want to denigrate what you just did. That was wonderful. The short version of that for me is this is a superhero film and it's 40 minutes in before we get some real action. Yes. No. God forbid somebody defend a superhero film that goes a full hour Without that superhero showing up, but we'll okay. talk about that in two weeks. Two <laughs> weeks from now. Two weeks from now, we'll have a conversation where a superhero film has a superhero show up, and then that superhero doesn't show up for a full 60 minutes I, of a I movie. I honestly don't know which one we're talking about, but okay. Hint, Regardless. it rhymes with Blunder, Bloomin' Blady Boar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll talk about it, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but... That is the point is the inciting incident needs to happen right at around the 12% mark. You do your setup and then you have to have something that, for instance, the inciting incident in Star Wars is he works on R2 and Leia shows up. Boom. The Leia hologram is the inciting incident that happens mm-hmm. on Star Wars. You get about that much time to set up the world of the main character. And, and it's the inciting also worth inc- noting, you've already had an action scene before that of hook, the Imperial yes. Star destroyer trying to you know overtaking the rebel ship we have that here too we do the movie does start with galactus it's it's literally 20 seconds yeah no it's true um i'm trying to do my best to defend the first third of the (laughs) film but it's hard to structurally structurally it's hard to you really do have about that much time and then what do you do then the main character explores what happened. They find he finds out it's a much bigger deal than he thought. He refuses it. He goes, I'm not dealing with this. This is too big for me. And then he gets, sorry, you can't refuse it because you've now been pushed forcibly in. Uh oh, Uncle Owen and Peru are dead. Guess I have to go. And then mm-hmm. you show up at Moss Eisley Station, which is the beginning of Act Two. Mm-hmm. And in this case, the beginning of Act Two is clearly the surfers here and things just go. It's like the movie suddenly gets put on fast forward for the next 50 minutes. Yeah. After that point. And there's a lot of meandering at the beginning that I think that you you could really cut. I almost wonder if there was just not enough moving. Like maybe they couldn't because $130 million, that's a lot of that's a lot of money. But in a world mm-hmm. where Endgame cost a billion dollars to make, yeah. there's it's not as much as it could be. So God, I do wonder you remember way back when when Waterworld made all the headlines because it had something like a $250 million budget. And everyone was like, my God, that's so much more than has ever been spent on a movie before. The budget of Waterworld was $264.2 million, but that's in 1995 dollars as opposed to $2007. That's true. So and and look, Waterworld, uh, I wish we could talk about it one day. It's almost a superhero film. It almost yeah, has okay, kind of count. Um, if the crow can be a superhero movie then Waterworld can be a superhero movie he's a superhero from a comic book he's in a comic book he puts on a costume and he fights crime with superpowers (laughs) what do you what do you need someone to be (laughs) so I think that yes you're in you're in a world in a world you're in a world where the first third of the movie really needed to move more and I just wonder if maybe there wasn't enough and they're like we get we got to put everything in guys everything mm-hmm. we shot for the first act has to go in because oh that's an interesting thought we only have an hour more movie after everything and- we need to everything for we shot including the two minutes of Reed Richards dancing at his bachelor party using his cool flexible body to have those rad dance moves that's that that's all go that all goes in the movie is 92 minutes long you might be right <laughs> so <laughs> I think once you get into, and I, I'm not hating it. I want to be clear. I'm not hating it. The Fantastic Four sitcom is one I would watch. I would watch a Fantastic Four sitcom. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. the The first half hour was I, and I, and shoot, I started this podcast starting about how the way to make Fantastic Four work is to lean into the characters. 
and the issues that they do bring up of, oh, do we have a superhero life or a normal person life? Or things like, Reed, you're spending too much time on your science and not enough time focusing on the relationship. Uh, the relationship between Johnny and the thing in this is wonderful. All of those things are great. And it almost feels to me like the first half hour of this film would work supremely well in a Fantastic Four series. Uh, but just when, it, when I'm watching the thing and I'll, I've got 90 minutes, it's like, okay, when are we going to get to the... When are we going to get to the to the to the action stuff so i'm just looking at who wrote the screenplay the screenplay was by don Payne and mark frost based on a story by john Turman and mark frost so tim story who directed it but i'm just kind of jumping in and seeing what else these people have written uh the simpsons uh this is for don Payne wrote the simpson hope and gloria pride and joy can't hurry love men behaving but badly veronica veronica's closet in terms of films he's wrote my super ex-girlfriend and he wrote thor worked on thor and thor, thor the dark world um, my super ex-girlfriend was good i enjoyed it did you I, that I, would I, I mean that might be actually a that would movie. be it that that totally i mean that's a movie with superheroes in it that's i know we're just premise. talking about we the should. other movies we want to make today are yeah. we <laughs> <laughs> to work out today but also it just occurred to me i've never seen hancock and i'm interested oh uh, this, dude yeah the other the the other guy uh who hasn't written anything since this for for the screen he's written a lot of tv wrote uh the believers nightbreed twin peaks firewalk with me um oh man fantastic nightbreed. four God. Fa fantastic four this guy is, is none of these people are really into sort of big giant or stories. There's a lot of smaller stories. And of course, Tim story, if you look at his filmography, it's, you know, barbershop taxi, think like a man, ride along, ride along too. think like a man too. the new version of shaft that everyone hated Tom and Jerry, you have someone who's much more comfortable with a certain kind of light, not laugh out loud comedy, but just sort of like people making little quips at each other and you kind of mm -hmm. grin at it. And it's like, yeah, oh, it's a pleasant enough way to spend a half an hour. And that's all he's trying to do here. Again, this might have been awesome in 1997. This is so I listened to a podcast the other day and I'm not going to say which one it was that I was listening. I'll do it. It was, it was binge mode. I love binge mode. And they were talking very much about the right way and the wrong way to make superhero movies. And the wrong way is this and Batman Forever and it's sort of they were feeling out how to do it and they came up with a formula that wasn't terribly effective. Mm -hmm. And then Spider-Man came along and X-Men and modified that formula. Then Iron Man came in and perfected it. Now you have the MCU, MCU formula. This mm -hmm. seems very much akin to that Batman Forever it Daredevil. Feels like a, yeah, it feels like a 1997 movie made 10 years later. Yeah, that's exactly how it feels. And I think that... There's nothing here that I hate, minus the Sue Storm stuff, and it, which is not a Jessica Alba problem. It's a it's a movie problem, not a her problem. Mm -hmm. And then once we get to Act Two, we've just harped on Act One pretty horribly. Once we get to Act Two, I like this movie. Things be, pick I'll, up, th yeah. Things pick up in a very good way. I think that the Silver Surfer is a great character. He makes you think. He's thoughtful. Mixing up their powers, making them deal with each other's powers at the same time, is really fun and funny to see. And, and the set piece actions, like the set piece action sequences, uh, including rescuing the people from the collapsing London Eye in London, uh, that was cool because you specifically said during the last, during our review of the last Fantastic Four, that when you've got powers like this, what you want to see is them being used in cool and interesting ways. And this film actually delivers on that. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, he's yeah, the silver the surfer. Yeah, the silver surfer sort of floating through his beard and look or through his board and looking behind him. Floating uh, through his beard would be totally different. That would be totally cool too. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, and especially when you, when you add the additional trick of Johnny being able to sort of switch powers with people. I mean, the scene with the scene with the thing actually just giving up his powers, so, and then Johnny having you know thing armor on him. That's all. That's both funny and actually kind of cool how it works, and and it leads to a wonderful climax like the idea of Johnny uh, absorbing all of the powers and then going head to head against Doom that was a cool moment it really was one of the things that, one of the things the first Spider-Man movie gave us was Peter figuring out his, his powers and the organic web shooters still don't work for me for the character for him but mm -hmm. I see why you would do it because him figuring out how to make the web go it's worth it for me mm -hmm. it's the best part of origin stories so you need the other crappy parts of origin stories so you can get the best part which is people trying out their powers for the mm -hmm. first time yeah this movie manages to give you that again the well, same 
What's it like to be stretchy? Oh, let's do it again. Oh, how weird is it to, you know what I mean? It gives you all of those things that you liked before, except now everyone's confused as to how it's happening. There's a mystery behind it. The Silver Surfer is a very thoughtful and interesting character. It seems almost mm-hmm. like he belongs in another movie. Yeah. Um, it, it is the, the bringing of the military in. Of course they would be in. The, there is so much in the second act of this movie that I like. That I am, I'm into it. At this point, I am, in a way, I wasn't in the last one. The last one was sort of homework watching. This mm-hmm. one, I'm enjoying myself. The, and my nine-year-old who's sitting next to me is loving the hell out awesome. of this, especially the surfer. There was a moment in the the aerial chase scene when Doom is on the surfboard at the end, and they've got the Fantastic Car. And to be fair, they did they did Chekhov's Fantastic Car it by... Specifically in the beginning, Johnny being just like, oh, what's under the tarp? And Reed's like, oh, my latest project. And then they reveal the Fantastic Car at the end, which again is a good way of sort of because the Fantastic Car is such a nod to the actual comics. Um, so I liked that. But I'm watching the aerial. I mean, it's, it's not like it's it's not like there's a an iconic vehicle that people know from the comics that is suddenly created for absolutely no reason (laughs) with absolutely nothing earlier in the plot to suggest that that's something that could happen on the 4th of July that also wasn't mentioned. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. We'll get there in a couple. Oh God. I I have a feeling our friendship might end in a, in two weeks time, (laughs) (laughs) man. If, if, if you, if you and I can, can get through the crow and kick ass, we can get through this. (laughs) <laughs> um we'll the, always have kiss, kick-ass 2 to agree we'll always we'll always have our mutual hatred of kick-ass 2 <laughs> that's true um anyway you were saying the aerial sequence yeah the aerial sequence so i'm so literally the thought that goes through my brain at that point was oh i'm watching a superhero film uh for the first time i actually felt sort of caught up and i was like this is a great action sequence that would be on par with what I would expect from a Marvel Cinematic Universe film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So they, they at, which at no point did they achieve in the first film. So. Yeah. I, th- I think that care was taken with all that second unit stuff that they did. I think that it was really beautifully shot. They, mm-hmm. Again, you were the one who gave me the greatest thing. And, and I'm, and I'm applying your, your lessons to the secret thing that I'm writing right now, which is you need every third move to be a cool move. Yeah. You can do the moves that everyone expects from moves one and two, but move number three, must absolutely be something that people are not expecting where you take a little time to go what could what could someone do what can we do here yeah. what can we do here and i think that they you know image after image him flying through the building him being upside down in the tunnel mm-hmm. the you know, just over and over and over again i am in, i'm enjoying everything that is giving me action wise i'm enjoying everything that it's it is you know the the end i mean i guess we're far far enough along yeah. in the podcast now i think we can we can talk about the end and then we'll hit the character really quick um the end to me really suddenly dropped the ball a little bit unfortunately it's the mm-hmm. part of the movie i enjoy the least it feels rushed at no point am i worried that they're going to kill sue and given that i'm not worried that they're going to kill sue it rings false that they kill sue and doubly false that they bring her back which is exactly what i expected them to do mm-hmm. it it feels tacked on i'm not entirely sure where i am i don't know why we're in shanghai except that they just wanted another they like, want I, there, there's a lot of places that they go to in this and I'm like oh I guess filming in blah was cheap that year yes that's it feels very much like that um and the end it just seems a little tacked on I do like that they do the super scroll thing um mm-hmm. there's there's a character like that in x-men 2 who does who has every power of the original x-men um it's always fun to have somebody who can do that and seeing that that was fun enough i think that doom came off much more like a real threat in this movie than the first one yes doom seemed like he was a real threat finally which i liked but the very end i mean it's only been a couple of days and i don't really remember how they won they and again it is the it is a literal deus ex machina practically the uh and oh yeah, they're fighting, and then Galactus shows up. Galactus shows up, and the like, surfer is like, "I'm going to destroy Galactus," and he does, and yay! Um, and the, he dies. Except mid credits, because it's mid credits, and you can do anything you want in the mid credits. I don't mm-hmm. know if you knew that. Yeah, he's alive. He's alive. Surprise. No worries. So here's the, it's, and it's so fun because what went through my head uh, to all our listeners out there, and Justin knows this about me. I will go on record and will go on record for the rest of my life that my favorite film literally ever is The Last Unicorn, uh, an animated Rankin-Bass film from 1981. 
And oh, it's great. Yeah, that movie has flaws out the wazoo, but what it's one of those things where the movie hit me at a time, like I think I first saw it when I was six years old or something like that, and everyone has this. A movie that they sort of know is, okay, look, I know this is not necessarily mainstream, but I saw it at the exact right time in the exact right place, and suddenly now that is my movie. Uh, the Last Unicorn is one of those things for me. Uh, and spoilers. Can we talk real quick about the place you lived when you were you were a child? Uh, where, I believe where, I was. Where, in, where did you? I was in Costa Rica when I saw the last unicorn. My dad was foreign right. service. And and you also did you spend some time in Asia as well? I never spent time in Asia. No, South America right, exclusively. South America exclusively. But you became very interested in in Asian art. I know this about you specifically. And yes. You explained to me at one point um, because you liked you were a giant fan of the Matrix Reloaded. And, yes. And you were very very alone in that at the time i should also and say in my defense i was a giant fan of matrix reloaded the, <laughs> my love of last unicorn has has endured my love of matrix reloaded maybe not so much well one of the things you said to me at the time when you were defending that film which made me re-examine that film which is a film i like more than i used to because of you and you said to me that the difference between and this has nothing to do with fantastic four but we were talking about last unicorn and maybe why you appreciate it and i cannot and maybe it's, this is going to come up in Wonder Woman 84, why you can appreciate it better than I can. You said to me, the thing you need to understand about Asian literature as opposed to American literature, about Eastern literature versus Western literature, is that Western literature is based on the play, Shakespeare, the novel, in the three-act structure that I was just describing, whereas Eastern literature is based on the poem. And not everything makes sense from a from a narrative purpose. Things happen in, in Eastern in Eastern TV and shows and anime that don't make any sense except they don't make sense to the head, but they make sense to the heart. Yeah, it's it's about um and again I should say I was you know, I was parroting something that I think a professor told me in college. I should I should I want to get out front there. I am absolutely a pure layman when it comes to the actual understanding of Eastern narrative and the history of Eastern tales. That Because what said, you said to me was, I am a total expert and anybody who asks me to <laughs> can commission me for free to write them a two to four page uh, uh, single spaced in 11 font Times me, New Roman paper to defend me, my theses let me at just, any point. Let Please me do, say that email. I have as much place in writing an Eastern narrative as Scarlett Johansson did in Ghost in the Machine. Oh, no. That being said, uh, I do like the idea of the exp uh, the in, in several uh, both anime uh, and just straight up more uh, Eastern films that I've seen. The idea of the experience being more important than the explanation. And I think that's probably something that would go for Last Unicorn. Yes. And um, something that goes for Matrix Reloaded. I will say the end of this, despite the fact that it ends in Japan, is not that. It's just a hodgepodge of, of yeah. oh, no, we got to wrap it up. We're we got to wrap money. it up. Okay. <laughs> I mean, and, and again, so so anyway, this bringing it back to The Last Unicorn, the thing is, is there's in The Last Unicorn, and okay, spoiler alert for the 1981 Rankin-Bass film, The Last Unicorn. At the end, the last unicorn defeats the Red Bull by unlocking some power in her that uh, she did not previously know that she had. It was just sort of a suddenly she fights back harder than she's fought back before. In The Last Unicorn, at least, it was kind of earned by the... They did a better job of showing, oh the loss of her true love has unlocked sort of a rage and a power in her that she did not have. Um, and I feel like that's kind of what they were going for with the surfer. He saw Sue Storm die. She reminded him of his own lost love, which they had, to be fair, uh, set up before when he specifically told her, you remind me of her. Um, and then that unlocks, I think what they were going for was that unlocked this extra ability in the surfer that he did not have. And he used that until he, uh, he used that in order to destroy Galactus. I don't feel like that really landed at all. All I could see was, oh, okay. He just decided finally to sacrifice. There are two ways that the ending could have been interpreted. Either he unlocked this power within him that he didn't know he had before, which is in no way really indicated. Or he just finally decided, all right, this is going to destroy me, but I'm going to use my power to destroy Galactus. 
In which case, that's a very... He is very, culpable for every planet that he destroyed. He is culpable for every <laughs> other planet that he destroyed instead of himself. And it's like, oh, finally, a planet with somebody who looks like my old girlfriend. So now I'm going to do the self-sacrifice thing. <gasps> yeah, I think that that's fair. I think the other problem is... And here, let me ask you this question. Who's the protagonist of this film? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, that's a problem. I mean, prob- and, it's still... Is it even a member of the Fantastic Four? I, I, I think that's the thing, is that it is... There's like two separate things going on. Um, Reed, at, internally, in terms of resolving their own internal arc, and I will give them credit for this... They didn't necessarily do it incredibly well, but they did uh, resolve the major dramatic question internally of the Fantastic Four. Uh, my playwriting professor in college, he talked about the major dramatic question as basically it is a question that is asked at the beginning of a story and then is answered at the end of the story. Frequently, you have both an internal and an external major dramatic question. For Buffy the Vampire Slayer, for example, the external major dramatic question of the first season was, is she going to defeat the big bad, the master? The internal major dramatic question of the whole series was, is she going to come to terms with being somebody who has this destined superheroic power, but just wants to, in many ways, live a normal life? Which is, ironically, the exact same, uh, the exact same internal major dramatic question that is asked in this film. And they do a good job of actually bringing that question up several times. Sue being the example of that, saying, I, I can't we just have a family and I don't want the celebrity, I don't want all these things. And to their credit, Johnny even having internal conflict because Johnny is saying, no, this stuff is awesome. Why aren't we doing more of this stuff? And then at the end, they did have Sue give a nice little speech about, no, we're superheroes and the Earth needs us, so this is what we're going to be. It felt a little nice and pat and narratively convenient, but they did at least address, they had the major dramatic question asked at the beginning, and they answered it at the end. I feel like the external major dramatic question, which is what's going to happen with Galactus, in the end really had nothing to do with the Fantastic Four and had everything to do with the relationship between Galactus and the Silver. Surfer. So let's cut. Let's talk about that because you say it's a power he gets out of nowhere. If he had been the true protagonist of this film, mm-hmm. what you would have done is you would he would have had a number of scenes. You would have seen his emotional journey. You would have seen him learn lessons. And then, as the protagonist of the film, he would have used those lessons he learned mm-hmm. to then turn around and defeat the big bad. Use the force, Luke. You can do it. You know, Neo dies and comes back and is now able to stop the bullets. Mm-hmm. You know, if can you imagine if Neo was not the protagonist of the Matrix, but rather the protagonist of the Matrix was um, the protagonist of the Matrix was Trinity, mm. and you're following her. She interacts with Neo a little bit, but then you're you know when Neo goes off and does Neo stuff. You see her scenes where she's off talking to Cypher. She's off to, and then mm-hmm. you get to the end, and Neo can suddenly stop bullets, and you'd be like, "Wait, really? what? Yeah, how? Why can he do that?" But because you've been with him, and you see that he's done the dig down deep moment for him, mm-hmm. that he now is able to do that. I think the problem when you don't know who your protagonist is in your film is you have a situation where, yeah, maybe he was able to do something he wasn't able to do before, but he hasn't earned it at all yeah. because you haven't spent any time. With it. I'm he trying to remember in the comics even. I feel like I feel that's the thing. Like the Silver Surfer, I don't I don't know if he first appeared in Fantastic Four. But the thing he is, did. but the surfer's origin story and him beating Galactus and all that, that he had his own title to really delve into that storyline. For years. He had his yeah. own title for years and years and years and years. And, and that's the thing. And so sort of it's like, it's basically, uh, it's taking somebody else's story and tacking it on to this Fantastic Four story that you've already got going on. Because, and again, I will say the surfer is... Uh, on and off throughout my life. I've really loved The Surfer. Uh, Some of the most recent iterations of The Surfer title, I recommend. It is as close to Doctor Who as you will ever come in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I mean that in the best possible light. Uh, as a as a, as an upcoming father, once you get to about age four or five, might I suggest The Superhero Squad? Which is hilarious, in which the surfer speaks like a valley dude. He's like, oh my God, that's funny. I'm that's, totally going to go out I'm and to- go fight the power cosmic it's the superhero squad is at times animaniacs level mm-hmm. of funny that's if you're a marvel fan high, um, i mean high the things the surfer in his own right is a tremendous protagonist his relationship to galactus uh being forced into this terrible situation all of that the surfer deserves his own damn film uh and i feel like in the hands of the right writer it could really work 
Um, and I, I almost feel like that's kind of the problem that they dealt with in this was that they took a character who is not just tremendously compelling internally, but is tremendously powerful in an external sense and tacked it onto this film where in the end you kind of end up more interested in this supporting character who is both legitimately more powerful and in some ways more interesting as a character than the film than the characters that the film is literally titled. I think that the it needed I th- think it needed 10 more minutes with him which yes. would have made it only a 100 minute long film. Yeah, that's the thing. it was a short, short. Yeah, it was not a it was not a long but film. But he's got to be CG, that's the thing, and that's not cheap. Mm. Especially then. So I wonder. I don't know. Okay, let's go through the characters real quick. Yeah. I have nothing new to say about the Fantastic Four characters because they do not grow or change. I will say the only thing with this Jessica Alba, I did not mind her. I actually kind of liked her in the first one. I did not like her as much in this. Yeah, um, I didn't. Um, you know, and I and I think they're all somewhat lesser, unfortunately. As, as much as this movie is better. Mr. Fantastic mm-hmm. is better in this film than he was in the first. Yes. Jessica Alba is worse. Chris Evans is not as good. Mm-hmm. Um, what they do with him. Although Johnny Storm, his arc is bad. Like he has an arc. His arc is better, but that sheer charisma that he had, mm-hmm. he looked just, he just seemed a little tired in the performance of it. Mm-hmm. The first one, he won me over with it. And now maybe I just was used to it now, mm-hmm. but it wasn't charming me anymore the way it did. Michael Chiklis was fine. Wasn't his story this time. Yeah. Um, uh, Julian McMahon is Dr. Doctor Doom, th- that was better. Um, I mean, do- the thing is, it- Doom's powers were more interesting. Like he was more villainous, um, but it's still. I don't I know feel the like performance was better, but I it, just it feel gave like him less the- to work with. In- but I feel like maybe that's better. I think in its own way, he just seemed like a threat, yeah, like a real true threat, as opposed to somebody who can you know, be beaten by a bus and a fire extinguisher. You know, like he was a real. He, because of the powers and because what he was trying to do now was like, last time was like, I'm going to get powerful and kill a few people. This time I will destroy the world mm-hmm. to be powerful. Um, yeah. And so I think that 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 was good. But it, it, is, it is elevated by the Silver Surfer himself and just by the pacing in the second act. Mm-hmm. First act too slow. Last act really confusing. But the second act, the, the middle half of the film is pretty solid from 25% to 75%. The film rolls along at a good pace. It, you know, things get better and worse and better. Worse. The characters have real problems. Mm -hmm. It seems hopeless at times. I think that it is, it it is, you know, better. So I got to ask you then, uh, here we are at the point of the movie where we ask the question on a scale of one to five killer waves that you can catch with your silver surfboard. <laughs> how do you rate Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer? Oh, God. How did I rate Fantastic Four? I think I give it a 2.75. Um, this, man, this lands for me somewhere between three and 3.5. My my personal, uh, my personal categorization of a three is a movie that is perfectly fine, that I walk out of the theater saying, eh. It was okay. I like. I don't. I didn't waste my money. Um, some of the action sequences towards the end, kind of. I was you know, like the fact that in the aerial combat sequence, I was like, "Oh, I'm watching a superhero film. Cool." Um, actually, now that I think about it, I'm giving it a straight up three. This movie was fine. Uh, it had its flaws. It had its good things. My favorite word. Ni- yeah. Neither its successes nor its failures were particularly remarkable. And so because of that, I I have very little desire to go back and see it a second time. But seeing it in the theater the first time, I would not have been, I would not have been bored. So I know this is going to seem weird because this is going to be ranking higher than even a couple of the Marvel movies, maybe for me, for one reason, I'll explain to you. And I think that we have a list of movies that we need to do coming up, um, including the brand new New Mutants that came out. Right. Which, uh, which I saw. I don't, have you seen it? I have not okay so i'm going to preview my thoughts on that and say this here as a movie it it deserves a 2.75 maybe a three however what it is is it is a successful iteration of the fantastic four Mm. and based on that i'm going to give it a 3.5 now i have given lesser movies or rather i've given better movies lower scores oh yeah these are these are ratings in terms of how they how they impact us personally and specifically and it's not like i care a bunch about the fantastic four Mm -hmm. but we have seen i mean listeners let's be clear i think we both gave rise of sky i give rise of skywalker a five which it straight up did not deserve but i gave it because star wars so yeah you know well, i and i still i stand i like rise of skywalker still um although i noticed that i don't rewatch it which is weird <laughs> um 
I think that the thing is that we've seen five iterate. We've done or, or four. We've done four iterations of this film that yeah. we've reviewed. None of them have really given me the Fantastic Four. What, would you that say I, that I none of these four have been fantastic? Fantastic. There are, there are elements of this one that were, if just for an hour, if there was mm-hmm. just an, a, a 40 minutes, there are 40 minutes of fanta- fantastic 40 minutes that the ah, movie gave nice. you. And based on that, I'm giving it an extra half point because okay. there's still an element of it, even this far in, even when everything has been mined from comic books, I still kind of can't believe that we're getting comic book movies. I'm still at that point where I'm just like, okay. I don't believe this. These yeah. are I read these and people made fun of me for reading these when they were all reading their sports magazines. Mm-hmm. Like I like That's I true. read all this stuff. It and is now something, it is something that should never be taken for granted. And I did not get the Fantastic Four I wanted except for 40 minutes of this film. And based on that, I'm giving you another 0.5. And you're going to hear me say that about the New Mutants too, because it's, it is a flawed film. And for mm-hmm. people who hated it, I understand. But damn it, if they did not manage to land the characters that I read in the comics. Mm-hmm. And, it, there was and I just know that the new, the new Mutants is a very personal comic to you. Yeah, well, it's my favorite comic book that was ever written. Mm-hmm. So so there we go. Um, so I think based on that, I I am comfortable giving that this uh, 3.5. Mm-hmm. But next week, um, and by next week, because this is the totally, because this is the totally super podcast, this is either next week or a month month and a half from now but mm-hmm. hopefully next week yeah we haven't we haven't fully decided what we're we've, we've got a few options in the in the canister but we don't know which one we're doing well yet. well we were we were talking about wonder woman and and that is the, that is my vote is for is for wonder woman well that was i think wonder the i think the original plan was we would do fantastic four and then we've had a we have had a listener a fan of the show uh, specifically uh, mention the old guard which is a relatively new it's sort oh, of a dark horse true. Uh, superhero film that is on Netflix, and I think was a very would, would be a fun little just like one t- one shot departure from the kind of superhero film that we've been doing. Um, but then after that, uh, doing Wonder Woman, which I've been looking forward to reviewing. Uh, and then after Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman eighty four. It, it'll well you and i will have to arm wrestle over it because after hearing some of your thoughts on wonder woman 84 i am just so i'm literally chomping at a literal bit we're doing this as a video call right now and arthur would tell you i have a bit in my mouth right now (laughs) true um so it will be one of those films lots there's so much to cover uh and hey maybe we'll do a throwaway discussion either just on facebook or if i can convince arthur to do it uh to just give our first impressions of the upcoming i mean we'll do a throw it away like we did on this film about the x-men wandavision comes out this friday true and i am so curious to see good reviews so far from what i've seen i'm so curious to see what happens uh when the mcu decides to imitate my movie so <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So for those of you who don't know the plot those of plagiarize, those plagiarizing jerks, it's WandaVision is what happens when you take two fictional characters and put them into a TV situation where suddenly they realize, wait, this isn't reality. I think I'm on TV. And, you know, I made a movie called The Christmas Cancellation. A Christmas Cancellation available. Well, where is it available? I'm Amazon Prime. On Go a, watch a Christmas, ca- a Christmas Cancellation available now on Amazon Prime to all viewers Woo-hoo. everywhere. But for now, my name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And oh, that's right. I say this next part, don't I? And hey there, true believers. And to nobody's surprise, Justin says, stay fantastic. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not-safe-for-work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Endlight Entertainment. 